This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, we are picking back up with Kaylee Summers, licensed social worker and perinatal trauma specialist, to discuss preparing for delivery or postpartum after you've had a traumatic experience. Last week, we covered the decision-making around whether or not to expand your family after you've gone through a traumatic pregnancy or delivery or postpartum. And today we're discussing what you can do to go into whether it's pregnancy, labor, postpartum, feeling more empowered and strong and anchored in whether it's your support system or the people around you so that you can know and have some reassurance that even if things don't go according to plan, that you can cope and you can manage. Kaylee does this work day in and day out with mothers and parents who've experienced trauma. And when she tells us that we can cope and we can manage and we can learn the skills and there are effective ways to heal and move through the situation, it's really hopeful and inspiring, especially in times that feel so chaotic and we can feel so out of control and like so much autonomy has been taken from us. I really appreciate what Kaylee brought to this conversation. Let's dive into this week's episode. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles. But your mental health matters. We know you're busy, so we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWell, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Kaylee, thank you so much for coming back to join us for conversations, all things birth trauma and deciding to go forward or not go forward. So thank you for being with us today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be back. The first conversation was amazing. 
Yeah, you had shared in that first episode a bit about your personal story and how your platform started and your podcast and things. And you talked about the immediate time after your child was born, a real drive to want to get pregnant via surrogacy because of unexpected complications, taking away your ability to carry another child. And if you're open to sharing a little bit more I'm curious how that played out once you did process through some of your trauma and yeah, how did that story play out for you? Yeah, it was definitely a difficult one. Like I had said in episode one, I was very dead set on like, we are doing surrogacy. I don't care. No one's getting in my way. I started going through all the genetic testing that I needed to, all of that good stuff. And this was very early on, like within the first six months Mm. postpartum. And then my husband hit the pause button. It's like, we are not doing this. Not right now, at least. And then probably we've decided within the last year that our family is not going to grow, probably. Mm. And that's for a lot of reasons. But I think it took a lot of therapy and a lot of processing for me to accept that this is like our story Mm. and that sure, we could have more children. That is what I always wanted. I always wanted two kids. I grew up as with a brother. So it was like, boy, girl, had a boy first. I was like, oh, we'll have a girl. It'll be this perfect little family as everyone Mm. sort of assumes. And so having to give up that dream of having a little girl is heartbreaking. I cry about it all the time still. And I think that's important just because we've processed and sort of healed and gotten to a point where we feel confident in our decision doesn't mean it doesn't hurt still. Yeah. And regardless of whether you physically can't have more kids or have just decided not to given the trauma that you've experienced, that grief continues on. And so for us, it was a really difficult decision, but I also looked, I had a really great podcast episode that I did with Jess from Only You Podcast, who's like a one and done community. Okay. And I talked a lot about what it would mean to my son, Callahan, for me to have another child via surrogacy and what that would mean for our relationship and just viewing it from him not getting any of the things that I would probably get with a baby through surrogacy, that skin to skin right away, being able to take care of that baby in the first month or two, which I didn't get for him. Hmm. And sure, all of those things would be okay, but it would be hard. And There's a lot more family dynamics at play. I also loved, loved, loved being pregnant. Mm. I was one of those people I just, I got huge. My baby was 11 pounds when he was born. Oh my God. Um, So I was massive, (laughs) but I loved it. And I think I realized how difficult it would be for me to have to watch someone else carry my baby, which again is is a personal feeling for me. Yeah. So we made that decision to probably not move forward. And again, there's a lot of grief wrapped up in that for sure. It's interesting as you're describing the story about the ideal that you have with, you know, having a girl. And Mm -hmm. while I did not have traumatic experiences and I haven't had trouble conceiving, and I know that there's a lot of ease that has come to me that I'm aware of that I've had in conceiving, I had three boys. Mm -hmm. And so there was actually my own grief. There was still grief. We've done an episode on gender disappointment. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a real acceptance that I had to find, and it wasn't for lack of adoring the boys that I have, but once we decided to actually be done, and three is our is our cap, and yeah. we're done, really making that final decision or coming to the acceptance of, like, this is what 
the family picture looks like and it's not what I had envisioned it would look like for for whatever reason, for various reasons that this happens, had its own grief. Probably like, and it's not comparative, likely very different. And there's like, you know, worlds of difference in the two. It's not to compare. No. But it was interesting to hear you say that because I could see bits of myself in that experience without the other sort of complex pieces, I would say. Yeah. I think the point that you bring up though is a really interesting one. And so much that comes into birth trauma therapy is figuring out what is a normal postpartum experience Mm -hmm. and what is normal grief related to having kids in these sort of normal life cycles and what is related to birth trauma. Because a lot of it is crossover experience, exactly like you're saying. Sure, different sort of reasons, but a similar grief that comes about. Just making a point on that, that that's disentangling those two can be really difficult, specifically for first-time parents who have experienced birth trauma. Yeah, I can see that. It's like maybe taking the average experience or common experience and like dialing it up to a different, you know, degree or something. But for sure. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It's uh, your story probably gives others hope. I would imagine that if you can get to a place of acceptance, having that choice taken from you in such a like cruel way that life does things, right? Yeah. And being able to find a place of acceptance, that doesn't mean there aren't waves of grief. It doesn't mean that, you know, we're happy about it. Right. But that we can accept it and sort of begin to see and accept our family for this dynamic that it is. Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to put it. There's still grief, but I think once I was able to get to the acceptance phase is when I was able to then perceive the positives of having an only child Mm -hmm. and be able to perceive like what I really love about our current family dynamic rather than only how hard and how much grief there was that this choice was taken away from me. Both of those existing together now is what makes it much more bearable. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because I did some of this work with a client that I had. Oh God, I love her. She's so sweet. And there was some real like health stuff throughout her pregnancy, scares, um, her infant. Like they found out that there was like a genetic disorder in the family and the infant sort of flagged for it and, and all of these really just big things going on. And so she'd done this work that we've been talking about. She had worked with a therapist and then also like subsequently worked with me and had said, you know, I could try again, but I'm good, you know? Yeah. And there's like some fertility pieces there that it would have to be a very like intentional trying. There's just lots of variables. Well, doesn't she turn up spontaneously pregnant one day despite all odds, right? And so, well, I guess there's a whole conversation here, which maybe we won't entertain today, which can totally be a topic for another day is, do we move forward with that pregnancy or don't we? Or like, we still got choices and processing and decisions to make there. Yeah. So let's fast forward a little through that journey. We did do that and it did take a lot of time. There was a lot of like ambivalence and, you know, not feeling sure. Yeah. But then decided to go forward. And then it was like, oh, frick, I have to face all of this again. Now, this wasn't a traumatic delivery, but it was certainly trauma. It was going to have to yes. go through the same screenings for the same genetic disorder. Like, exactly. It was all on deck yep. to be faced, right? And so if somebody finds themselves pregnant and sort of, it feels like staring down the barrel almost yeah. at what is to come. Yeah. 
where, where, where do we start? I'm just putting it all on your lap right now. Where yeah, do we start with no, that? Of yeah. course, of course. So there's so many different facets and it really does depend on, um, and I'll talk about it generally, but it does really depend on where the trauma is and what the triggers are, right? Mm. So for someone who it's related very much to the birth itself, that might feel different than someone who's got all of these screenings throughout their pregnancy that are big triggers and big reminders for them. That doesn't mean there's not crossover. Mm -hmm. Of course, just the idea of being pregnant and knowing that that will have to end in the baby being birthed, right, is enough for pregnancy to then feel very anxiety-provoking for someone who's experienced birth trauma. Mm -hmm. Kind of gets lumped all into that really fun, either hyper, hypo arousal. But I think the first thing is that we can do this. Like Mm. there are things that we can do. Like you're not just flailing out in the ocean by yourself. There are conversations that we can have and supports that we can implement to make sure that this feels as close to okay as possible. Mm-hmm. Again, our expectations are not that this is going to feel amazing because you experienced a trauma last time in this situation. And so anytime we put someone in the exact situation, which pregnancy and birth are one of those odd things to have, it's a very unique situation to have trauma in as opposed to sort of like a random car accident like you had talked about or mm. something else. There's all these other feelings that come with it because it's related to your baby and the birth of them. So with that being said, I always like to start with the care team. Mm -hmm. So the physical care team that is going to be taking care of you during your pregnancy and birth. Does that feel like a good fit? Mm. Can you call up that office and have a conversation in advance to say, this is what's happening with me. (laughs) I am freaking out or I am not okay or whatever it is. And I need you to write in my chart that I've experienced a traumatic birth and I need this to be a part of my entire care. Mm -hmm. I need it to be trauma-informed. It should be anyway, but I need it to be trauma-informed. These are the things I need that are trauma-informed for me. Are you all able to do that? Are you willing to do that? And then seeing if they're able to, right? They might say yes, and then you walk in and it's the same old crap. Mm -hmm. And then have to decide if that's a good fit for you or not. So that's always where I sort of like to start. Yeah. Along with the other side of that, the emotional support. So making sure you are getting in contact with a therapist if you don't have one already and getting therapeutic support. Maybe there are support groups of others who have experienced a traumatic birth who are then going to be delivering again or having a subsequent birth. I'm planning on starting a few of those because they are few and far between Mm -hmm. and having that support that you need. I'm sure that it has a lot to do with, like we spoke about last time, processing through the trauma before making a decision. Like I'm sure it has a lot to do with where people are at on their journey. Yes, yes. Because I'm thinking in my mind right now, like trying to understand a a bit of a baseline because I've seen every, well, I guess it depends on on whether we're more avoidant or more hypervigilant, but I've seen everything from like locked in, this is all that is preoccupying my mind, Mm -hmm. like very intensely taking over everyday life, like frequently, right? To maybe that more, like we said, opposite end of like 
really disengaged, trying to push as far away from this as possible. Just thinking about maybe trying to carve out a bit of a baseline of sorts here for people so that they can maybe know, because I certainly probably still don't know, actually, (laughs) but I didn't with my first that I had, like I had postpartum anxiety. I didn't realize that my baseline was so far off. Didn't know that I shouldn't be as preoccupied every minute of the day as I should be. Yep. And so, yeah, it's our way to lay that out a little bit. Yeah. And again, this is one afterbirth trauma that can feel hard to sort of disentangle because there will be that fear and that will lead to anxiety and sometimes some preoccupation. But I think Mm -hmm. you kind of nailed it. Is it interrupting your daily functioning? And that's what Mm -hmm. we're always looking at as mental health providers. Are you feeling like your ability to function throughout your day, if you're working, doing your job, if you're taking care of your kids, taking care of your kids, is it interrupting that ability? Also though, does it feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Like sometimes it's not interrupting your daily functioning, you're really high functioning, but it feels awful. Mm-hmm. And we don't want people feeling awful. And so I think sometimes that threshold of interrupting your daily functioning is a little too low or high, however you want to look at it for people. And they're like, okay, well, I'm still going about my everyday, but I'm feeling this crushing anxiety internally, but I must be fine if I can still do everything. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, It's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc dot com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. 
But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. I think about certain clients who have gone through traumatic experience. Well, after the fact, I mean, there's a real sort of come down time of just Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of chaotic for a while. But then facing another pregnancy that sometimes like it'll be like situational things that will set off the anxiety or the avoidance. But sort of day to day, if those triggers are not present, it's not like top of mind. Yes. Whereas other times, you know, or other clients potentially, it is top of mind despite, I guess, those triggers being present. But when the baby is in your body, the trigger is always present potentially, right? So it's Mm -hmm. so tricky. So tricky to determine. Yeah. It is. It is. And if you had a traumatic birth, we want you to get treatment for that trauma because we know it's effective. Mm -hmm. And we know that, again, we can begin to mitigate some of those triggers. And you're about to walk into the biggest trigger, which is pregnancy, birth, postpartum. So we want you to be prepared for that. So I personally, if I were to give more of a specific, like I have a client coming in, say, that is dealing with a traumatic birth and they're now pregnant. What I'm looking at is if the trauma hasn't been treated, we're treating that. And I personally would probably be using EMDR Mm -hmm. for that. And really important to mention that you can do EMDR with pregnant clients. It is not contraindicated. And it's really important that we're able to do that as long as, again, everything health-wise is fine on the back end so that we can help them process through that trauma before they're entering into this experience again. So I'm looking at that. I'm looking at the processing in whatever way you do that as a clinician. And then I'm looking at really logistics. Like I had said, like what are the supports in place? What does their communication and relationship look like with their provider? And setting up like when you go into birth, even if we've done a lot of work on processing these triggers, you're still going to be heightened. It's still going to be scary. And so what are our coping skills in the moment? Who's helping us make sure we can engage those coping skills? Is there a doula present? Would that be helpful? How do we obtain a doula? How do we do that? What does that look like? And then what does postpartum look like if you end up having a traumatic birth again? Or if you don't, Mm -hmm. what do our sort of supports look like? What's set up? How are we preparing for this experience? Mm -hmm. It brings me to a question of like, what is our goal going into it? Because we spoke in the last episode about sometimes our goal going in is a Mm do-over, right? Whereas what I'm hearing you say is our goal is to, in the face of a triggering 
event or situation be able to cope and manage effectively. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. That is the goal is to be able to cope and manage effectively. And I think a lot of it is acceptance of what we do have control over and what we don't and what happens when we don't have control. Mm. Sort of practicing the mindset around that situation. What does it feel like? What does it look like when we don't have control? Because sometimes, often, unfortunately, in that environment, there are certain things that we can't control. Mm -hmm. And so knowing and practicing around, again, what that feels like in your body, how do you cope with that feeling? And then logistically, how do you cope with that feeling? And how do you cope with what's happening? And who's your support in that situation? Yeah. Yeah, because if the goal going in is a do-over or the goal going in is to have a better birth experience or, I don't know, some of the other things along those lines that I hear when we're talking about sort of division of control, I would say that still lies with like outside of our control in several aspects. So having a, you know, focus on gaining the skills, having a plan, having a backup plan. Like one of the things when I talk about sort of that like postpartum sort of emotional trauma is like looking at the experience that they had before, what in retrospect was needed or needed to be done differently and how can we plan for some of those variables or like build in some of those supports and feel empowered in knowing that we have not contingency plans, but sort of covered some of those bases for them so that they can kind of know what to expect despite the experience. They can't predict the experience, but they can predict the system that they build around that experience that can help see them through it is essentially what I'm trying to say. Perfectly said. That is how I view sort of dealing or coping with going into a subsequent birth after a traumatic one or a subsequent pregnancy after a traumatic one is like, how do we build the support around whatever experience it happens to be. And I also think there's an interesting sort of conversation in the birth trauma community around expectations. Mm. I am a big believer in that you get to have expectations. You get to have what you envision your birth to be. You get to be sad and grieve if you don't get to do the golden hour Like you get to have those expectations for your birth. And we also are going to talk through what happens and how do we cope if those things don't occur. Mm -hmm. And so I think those two things, it's not like, let's put your expectations on the ground floor so that you don't get disappointed when these things don't happen. Right. Because not only is that not helpful, but it also takes away any kind of onus on potentially people who are causing trauma. Mm -hmm. If we just say your expectations were the problem. So again, expectations are valuable and should exist. And we also have to talk about what happens when those expectations don't occur. Yeah. It's like having flexibility. It's not like expectations in a perfectionist, rigid sense that it has to go this particular way. It's like I, I have envisioned the process like this. And I know that should it pivot, I will manage, Yeah, you know, or I can manage with like things that are thrown my way. And I don't know, it's a necessary skill to have this flexibility, but I'm sure that it's also scary in the face of some really big things. Like you said, that curtain had been pulled back. Yeah. 
And so it's probably scary to say that in the face of some of the big things that have been faced. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, the best we can do is the best we can do in terms of our support and our preparation. And all of those things need to happen in order to put ourselves in the best situation in both pregnancy and birth. And, you know, you could detail to me exactly what was going to happen in my birth and I'd still be traumatized by what happened. Like there are certain things that unfortunately, you know, my care team did everything they needed to do to save our lives. Like everything was perfect given the really awful situation Mm -hmm. and nothing could have prepared me for that. And so I would be traumatized regardless. And I'm saying this because if that does happen, it's not game over. Like this, mm. we're, we're doing all this preparation, this really important work around support and making sure we're trying to change the outcome and the experience. And sometimes we can't. Mm-hmm. But we have, again, on the back end and kind of what you're talking about with that postpartum emotional trauma and changing that support plan to make sure people have of course, better access to that support and a plan in place for if their mental health concerns do rise again. The same goes for if you have a traumatic birth or a traumatic pregnancy again. It's not game over. It's just, okay, we know what we have to do and we've planned for this. Mm. And here's what we're going to do to work through this. And it sucks and it's devastating and there's grief and there's processing again. And there's also a light at the end of the tunnel again. It's so important to lay it out because as we were talking about the mindset going in, right? Because if we do all this work to prepare and we've done all the things right and we still are impacted Mm -hmm. by what happens, it is not a result or lack of us trying hard enough. No. Right? Exactly. We can only do the best that we can do with the information and the support that we have at the time. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of maybe, I don't know, some practical things in preparation for maybe like a couple of practical things to leave people with as they're preparing and maybe building out their plan to face like, let's say, birth trauma or something along those lines. What might be some practical things that they can do in preparation? Yeah, I think there's a couple of sides to this. I think there's the practical piece on the care side. So... Again, what does your team look like? How do you want to be communicated with? Also, even in, again, rare situations like mine, like what do you want to happen if you are unconscious? Mm. What would you like, you know, do you want your significant other to go see the baby? Do you want them to stay with you? What are the things that you want done to your newborn, not done to your newborn? All of those sort of things to think about that most people don't want to because it's a really happy time and we don't want to consider the bad stuff. But if you've had a birth trauma, you already have that curtain pulled back. So you're already thinking about those things. Mm -hmm. So having a conversation with your partner about what your wants and your needs are in all sorts of scenarios, speaking to your partner about what is triggering for you and what you imagine, you can't, you know, necessarily predict all of them, but what you think will be triggering for you in this experience and how they can help support you through that. Having lots of conversations with your partner about what you expect and what they can expect and how they can support you. Mm-hmm. And of course, a postpartum plan. I feel like we've kind of been over that one though, making sure you have yeah. a therapist, making sure all of those things are in order. And then having some really tactile coping skills 
in the moment. Like grounding skills and things? Yes. I think this ties in nicely with like labor in general. Mm. We're already talking about how to cope with labor, but when it comes to trauma, having those grounding skills, whether that's grounding yourself to the room, using your five senses, things you can see, things you can hear, taste, smell, all that good stuff. And then also I'm a big fan, especially if you're in labor and dealing with all of this pain, is having some, what I call like tactile grounding. So like having oils that you can smell, Mm -hmm. even having like a peppermint type candy or something that you can put in your mouth if you're allowed to. It's a whole nother conversation. (laughs) So having things that, again, are really lighting up your senses and pulling you back into that room if you're feeling triggered. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and your partner there as an advocate Mm -hmm. for when maybe you know, you feel like your voice isn't being heard as it should, or you are struggling to communicate, like little indicators or like pre-agreed upon things there that they can sort of step in. Absolutely. I remember my husband during one of my deliveries, the midwives were like cracking off jokes. And I hate people laughing when I'm in labor. That's fair. Because it's (laughs) like, I'm in pain. Get the F out if you're going to be around here laughing, right? Like, Mm Yep. And so he just shut it down. Like He was just like, this is not what she needs right now. Like, you know, and when I'm preoccupied and otherwise like in pain, having somebody have your back in that way also is like that added level of reassurance. And um, there's just one last sort of asterisk or caveat that I want to add in here. And it's being prompted in my mind from a message that came in from a listener on Instagram. And it's that sometimes the partner is the one who's had the trauma. And I've actually had community members share this with me where like actually they were maybe unconscious or maybe not aware of all that had gone on. And their partner is the one that's gone through the trauma. And so they are the ones that are very maybe hypervigilant or avoidant around the idea of expecting a new baby. So this is for sure a thing. Hey, like, let's just put that out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In my personal situation, my husband was in the room when I went into cardiac arrest. And so Mm. that was horrific for him. Of course. Oh, my gosh. And everything that sort of then came after that, the many hours and days of figuring out if I was going to live or not while trying to, like, meet a newborn and sort of take care of them a little bit in the NICU and, you know, all of that. Yeah. But so I talk about partner trauma on my page a lot. Okay. So we have a specific podcast on it. My husband came on and talked about his experience And I think one of the hardest parts is partners already feel like they're not the one doing it. They're not the one giving birth, that they're already kind of helpless, even if it's not in a traumatic situation, but their partner is in pain. They can't really do much. They can support in the little bit that they can, but they can't take on any of that pain. Mm -hmm. And so then to be traumatized in that situation as well often they feel like they don't have any space for their feelings, especially if their partner was unconscious. Likely it was a medical emergency for the most part. Mm. So they're like, well, this happened to them. Right, exactly. There's no room for my trauma, but it comes out. And stereotypically with, if it's a male partner, we do more often see it come out in sort of anger, depression, and they're not necessarily connecting that to trauma. Right. And so it's really hard. And I will say something that's really difficult that we talk about a lot too is when both partners are traumatized Mm -hmm. because now you have two partners who are traumatized in different ways. Yeah. It's coming out differently and often they are coping with it differently. And they're trying to deal with a newborn and possibly other children as well, depending on 
when this happens. So it's kind of a recipe for disaster, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a lot. It's like, I don't know, we're a team and when one person goes down, sort of, uh, even with when we talk the stats on postpartum depression, you know, one in five moms and then when mom has something postpartum going on, 50% more likely that their partner will. So then if we're both kind of down for the count and trying to cope, we can't turn to our partner maybe in the same way if they're also struggling. So it does become that support system becomes that much more important. Thank you for this conversation today and for joining us for this two-part series. And for those who are really intrigued and feel that they need to learn more from you, where can they find you? Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. My Instagram and TikTok handle is at the birth trauma underscore mama. And I also have a podcast called the birth trauma mama podcast. You can just search that on my website, which is the birth Yeah. And we'll link all of that in the show notes so people can easily click through and find you. We'll also link the resources and the episode that you mentioned that we talked about today. And uh, yeah, as always, I'm going to put the feelers out there. If any of this struck a chord and you want an episode focused more on a part of this topic, let us know and we'll make sure to figure that out and make it happen. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Erica. I have really enjoyed getting to know Kaylee and it's pretty incredible to see somebody take their own unexpected delivery experience and their own trauma, work through it and heal from it and be able to build a platform that helps others based on their experience. Birth trauma wasn't talked about for a really long time. And as I mentioned before, even when I was starting out my platform and looking for somebody to have these types of conversations with, it was really difficult to find a platform or a specialist at that time. So I appreciate Kaylee coming and contributing not only her expertise, but also her openness and vulnerability to share her own story. If while you were listening, you felt like, you know what, this preoccupies my mind more than it should, or I've been really anxious and this is something that I feel dread about every day, whatever came up for you, if you feel like you were struggling, I encourage you to book in a free 15 minute consultation with one of our therapists. They can help you better understand how we can support you through pregnancy, labor, and postpartum. To learn more and book a free 15-minute consultation, head to momwell.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where Dr. Sarah Oreck is joining me to discuss postpartum psychosis, what it is, what it isn't, how it compares to things like postpartum depression or intrusive thoughts. This is a really important episode, whether it's for educational purposes or to help you understand your experiences versus somebody else's experience. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell. Settling is not an option for me. Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? (laughs) Because every day is for the girls. 
Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.